When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everyone, if you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10 to get 10% off our central membership for the first year. And now to today's episode. The signals are telling me to worry about India as a consequence of the Chinese reopening. India was almost the darling of 2022 and in particular the darling of the most recent conference in Davos in the World Economic Forum. But India has had a terrible start to the year in the equity market. So why is that? Stay tuned for Steno Signals. Hi guys and welcome to the fifth edition of Steno Signals. I am still honestly overwhelmed by all of the feedback that we've received, and I'll try to touch upon uh, a couple of the most important questions I've received over the past week in today's show. But um, we will focus a bit on the side effects of this Chinese reopening because it matters for India. Uh, it also matters for a whole lot of other emerging market countries. Uh, and that's one of the things that you've been telling me over and over in the comments section. Please recap some of the ideas that you've used so far in the show and try to sum up the developments on an ongoing basis. So let's start with the Chinese reopening and why it matters for India. If we look at the Chinese reopening right now, I would say that it's fair to say that China is open for business. We talked about that last week as well, but we get confirmation in data from surrounding countries that China is actually open. This week, we received data from the Japanese industrial production showing a rebound relative to expectations. And I think we can link that to the Chinese reopening to a large extent since Japan is exporting a whole lot of goods to China. We also have clear links to the rebound that we see right now in Germany and in German equities as a consequence of this Chinese reopening. But one country is suffering as a consequence of this reopening, and that is India. India has been on top of the discussions, both among the elite in Davos at the World Economic Forum, but also among top investors across the globe throughout the past 12 to 18 months. India is one of the few countries that has performed throughout 2022, despite the ongoing malice across equity and bond markets in the West. And I think the reason was that uh, India was on the receiving end of a lot of investment flows due to the Chinese perma-lockdown. Now that China is open again, we see a squeeze in the long positioning in Indian stocks. 
Uh, and we've seen a further sell-off this week uh, alongside a couple of very interesting stories. But let's look at the fundamentals around the Indian equity case before we move to these stories. First of all, if we look at Indian equities, it's been a clear winner as a consequence of a lack of manufacturing coming out of China due to the lockdown. India has mostly been able to attract what I call services flow uh, throughout the course of the 2010s and the 2020s. But through the pandemic, they started attracting manufacturing flows as well as China was not open for business. India lacks relative to China when it comes to infrastructure. And I think that is the reason why global investors have not invested in the Indian manufacturing supply chain. Um, first of all, most of the Indian population lives far from the shores, uh, which is an issue from a transportation perspective. And it's the exact opposite of what we see in China, where the population lives along the coastline, um, making it much easier to manufacture stuff and sail it via sea to the West. Uh, but as China was in a permanent lockdown for a couple of years, India started attracting these manufacturing flows despite this lack of infrastructure, and it gave a boost to Indian equity markets. Secondly, if we look at the service sector, India has been clearly on the receiving end of investment inflows into everything tech-related. Um, and it's been pretty clear over the past six months that the tech sector in the U.S. is suffering. Uh, and I think it's fair to say that India is now suffering with the time lag um, as a consequence of the layoffs that we see in U.S. tech in particular. We've struggled in the West to find the right competencies, to find the right skilled labor to do tech jobs or to take on tech jobs throughout the pandemic. But now that layoffs... Um, come in week after week in the tech sector in the US, but also in parts of Europe, it is now again on a relative basis easier to attract the right talent in the West. And I think that's an issue for the Indian service sector. And we see that in the equity performance in India through the first weeks of the year here. So it is a very interesting story that is playing out right now that when China is reopening, India suffers. Uh, and I found a very neat correlation between uh, what's called the Oxford Stringency Index for China and the subsequent performance in Indian equities. So the thesis actually holds in real life. When the Oxford Stringency Index drops, meaning that fewer restrictions are in place in China, we see a negative spillover to Indian equities after a time lag. And if we assume that there is still a reopening momentum left in China, I think that's fair to assume over the course of, say, February, March, and April, then we should expect this to spill over to continue the relative underperformance of India. And I think that's a really interesting takeaway given that India was top pick number one at the World Economic Forum meeting. India was the investor darling in 2022 in emerging markets. But so far this year, India suffers as a consequence of the Chinese reopening. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. If we look at markets that thrive when China opens up, I'd like to highlight a few odd ones out uh, in that context. First of all, Chile. Um, the Chilean industry is very based on industrial metals mining, um, and China is the biggest consumer of industrial metals when the economy is open. Right about 60% of total demand for, for example, copper stems from China. And we've seen a tremendous performance in the um, Chilean peso as a consequence of this Chinese reopening, simply as Chile thrives when China buys more industrial goods and metals as a consequence of the manufacturing sector gaining pace out there. Uh, so that's truly positive story for this year. Another positive story for this year is Mexico so far. Uh, Mexico is one of the best performing equity markets out there, even measured in US dollars so far this year. Uh, and I think China um, is also a part of that story since Mexico and Brazil, uh, they typically thrive when we see commodities rebounding. And we've seen that uh, due to the Chinese reopening. So in short, you want to belong countries with an exposure to commodities and to China at the same time, not least in industrial metal space. And that means to belong Latin America and short India on this Chinese reopening in the relative uh, bets in emerging market space. Else we've discussed dollar liquidity over and over in this show so far this year. And I also wanted to provide you with an update on dollar liquidity after an interesting week in some of the underlying parameters driving dollar liquidity. I've been saying throughout this year that we should expect dollar liquidity to increase as the US Treasury is not allowed to hold a lot of idle cash due to the debt ceiling being enforced now. But last week, we actually saw an increase in the amount of cash held by the US Treasury after the debt ceiling is in place. So how on earth is that possible? Well, I want to emphasize once again that it is possible for the US Treasury to issue new debt through the extraordinary measures that they take. So they can, for example, issue new government debt countered by some of the assets held by the government securities investment fund, the so-called G fund. And um, the G fund holds roughly 300 billion worth of US treasuries as assets. Uh, so the US treasury is allowed to issue 300 billion worth of new debt countered by these assets held by the public pension fund. Uh, and they did so to a large extent just after the debt ceiling um, came into force. They issued almost 200 billion worth of T-bills. Uh, and in the process of doing so, they also increased their cash holdings at the Federal Reserve. So basically a process that withdraws dollars from the financial system. But there is what I call the double liquidity cushion 
in the way that the U.S. liquidity system functions. Uh, and bear with me because I'm going to get a little bit technical now. When the Federal Reserve sets the so-called Fed's funds policy rate, so the policy rate that guides everything from bank lending to mortgages, etc., then they try to control this Fed funds rate via a cap and a floor. And the floor below the effective Fed funds rate is effectively guided by the overnight reverse repo facility. So currently, we still have a lot of excess dollars in the financial system. And unless this floor was uh, in place in the money market in the US, we would actually see a downwards pressure on front-end interest rates in the US due to all of these dollar cash positions being out there. What this overnight reverse repo facility does is that it offers money managers, funds, etc., the opportunity to park dollar liquidity at the Fed and receive collateral in return and collateral being a T-note, for example, in this case. So last week, when the U.S. Treasury started issuing a lot, the usage of this overnight reverse repo facility dropped by a ton as a consequence of more investable short-term units in the actual private market. So money market funds that had parked dollars at the Fed instead invested in these new T-bills. So the usage of this overnight reverse repo facility dropped to the same extent as the U.S. Treasury issued new bills. So therefore, net-net, the liquidity actually flatlined or moved nowhere over the course of the week, despite this buildup of cash on the Treasury general account. This is technical stuff, but it basically means that there is sort of a double cushion in terms of dollar liquidity right now. And ultimately, the U.S. Treasury will have to bring that Treasury general account down to zero over the course of the next three to four months, or at least very close to zero. And that is a liquidity addition. But in times of new T-bill issuance, this overnight reverse repo facility actually cushions the buildup of cash by the U.S. Treasury because the usage of this facility drops when new bills arrive at the market. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. So net-net, we should expect liquidity to increase through February, through March. And one of the triggers that we have for this increase in liquidity starting here in the first week of February is the so-called tax refund season. So from 1st of February, um, the tax refund season commences. Um, and the last couple of years, we've had very big refunds from the U.S. Treasury to individuals in the U.S. I would expect a smaller refund season this year as a consequence of fewer aid programs and all that. But still, net-net, it is a withdrawal from the U.S. Treasury cash balance because they simply need to pay out refunds to households and individuals over the course of February, March, and April. 
This is one of the reasons why you should expect the deficit to be larger than normal during these months. And therefore, you should also expect the Treasury General accounts of the amount of cash that the Fed holds at the Federal Reserve to dwindle. This is good news for risk assets and equities over the short term because dollar liquidity is a positive tailwind to risk taking. When a bank sits on more dollar cash, they tend to take a little bit more risk on the margin in their own position taking. So bank treasuries will take more risk if they have more dollars ca dollar cash. And the re receiving part in this equation is the commercial banking system. So when the US Treasury draws down on this account, the commercial banking system will be on the receiving end and hence they will be able to take more risk on the margin as a consequence of this liquidity addition from the US Treasury. Ultimately, be aware that liquidity is still ample in the dollar system, which means that the Federal Reserve will have to continue withdrawing liquidity all the way into the autumn. And last week, I introduced the so-called Waller Rule, named after Chris Waller, one of the members of the Federal Open Market Committee at the Fed. And his rule of thumb is that we need roughly 10% of the gross domestic product in so-called excess dollar liquidity in the financial system. And right now, we are way beyond that. So we need to withdraw five to 600 billions worth of dollars over the course of the next nine months to bring liquidity back to so-called neutral levels, which is a target in itself for the Federal Reserve in a tightening cycle as they are currently stuck in. So ultimately, liquidity will dwindle again. Bear that in mind and stay tuned for updates every single week in Steno Signals on dollar liquidity because it is so important to be on top of the developments in that particular part of the financial system. The last thing I wanted to mention is that we are going to present a new show at Real Vision called Sell Side Meets Buy Side. And I'm very thrilled to be the host and the representative from the sell side in this show on a monthly basis. So if you like the idea of me pitching trade ideas week in and week out here on Steno Signals, I guess you will double like the idea of me pitching ideas to one of the best portfolio managers and investment officers in the world. The first edition of the show will air soon and I think you'll love it if you love Steno Signals. One thing I'd like to hint from the show is that we're going to talk about how to assess whether a recession is priced in or not in the first version of sell side meets buy side. And we'll look into the details around how the yield curve is shaped right now relative to ahead of other recessions. We will also look into equity valuations ahead of recessions in history and whether the current environment sort of resembles what we've seen ahead of the great financial crisis, the dot-com bubble, etc. And what I can tell you is that currently, by the time of recording, we have a cutting cycle of roughly 200 basis points priced in for the Federal Reserve for the second half of this year and into 2024. And 200 basis points worth of cuts is relatively close to what you should expect through a recession from the Federal Reserve. So maybe the recession is already priced into 
bond space. But the big question is whether the recession is already priced in to equity space as well. And I'll leave you with one chart on the price earnings multiples in the US, in Europe, and in China relative to history. So what you see on the chart is the current level of the price to earnings in the US, in Europe, and in China. And then you see the median value over the course of the entire time series history dating decades back. The US looks expensive on valuation multiples right now relative to history, while China and Europe look cheap. And back to the beginning of the show, we talked about how this Chinese reopening is good news for countries with a link to China and with a link to commodities. So that may be one thing to look at if you're scared of this recession. Invest in countries with a link to China and with a link to commodities. If those two are in place, I think the value is still very decent in the bet. That was all for the fifth edition of Steno Signals. Once again, a great pleasure to host the show for you. I need to remind you that this is just a window into my thinking and into my methodology around financial markets. Remember to do your own due diligence, do your own research. I cannot guarantee that my risk appetite and my risk horizon is the same as yours. But what I can guarantee is that I will take a deep dive into global macro, liquidity trends, and the Chinese reopening week in and week out on Real Vision. Thank you for watching. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.